are you two so mean? Everybody's so mean in my life, man. Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast. It's the college admissions podcast made for the students by the students. My name is Michael Gao. I'm a freshman here at Columbia University. And as always, I'm here with Dominic Siski and Ni Nguyen, two friends of mine from high school. They're high school seniors. They just went through the college admissions process. So we know the most recent stuff for all of you juniors and younger. Today, we're going to be talking about how to make your college list what schools you want to put on there, how you find these schools, and how you can categorize them. But before we dive into the show, I just want to thank our sponsors for this week's episode, FreezeCrowd. FreezeCrowd is the go-to social networking platform for college students. It's an easy-to-use website where you can connect with students at your school, alumni, professors, and anybody with your schools.edu email. Once you get in, make sure you head over to freezecrowd.com. And if you're a high school senior listening to it headed into college, use that email. So head over to freezecrowd.com to break the ice and help support the show. Now, before we get into this week's new episode about college lists, I just wanted to tell you guys that we actually did an episode on how to build a balanced list last year. It was our 16th episode, so you can find it at bit.ly slash aupod16. Some of the stuff uh, will be repeating, but you know, in case you want more about college, college, building a college list or a different perspective, you can head over to bit.ly slash aupod16. Now, first off, one of the easiest ways to start building your college list is to make sure you have a wide range of schools that you're applying to as far as the selectivity of them. The most common breakdown of these schools that I've seen and most people have seen are the safety schools, the mid schools, and the reach schools. Let's start with the safety schools, right? First off, do we all agree that everybody needs a safety school? For sure. So in your experience, right, the uh, what effect did having a safety school on your list do for you? Well, at least in my case, so usually for safety schools, you're, um, first off, you would be looking at maybe some of your state schools. If, for example, if you're in a state like Texas and they have the automatic um, admissions, if you're in like the top 10% or the top, I think it's like 7% for UT Austin. So usually those schools are schools that you can consider safety schools, but also even if you're not in auto um, admit, usually schools that you can kind of base it off either your SAT or ACT scores if you fall within like the upper um, end of that or if your GPA falls in the upper end of that. So those are usually schools that we kind of um, categorize as safety schools. And to kind of answer Dominic's question, um, in my case, um, one of my safety schools, I actually heard back in, I applied in maybe like the beginning of October and I heard back two weeks later. Um, so it's just really comforting and kind of good to know that, okay, you're into a school, you get to know early on. Um, so it's not really hectic um, waiting until, I don't know, like us now waiting until March and April. So it's kind of good to have a school under your belt. You know that, yay, you're going to college, like for sure. So I think that's um, really good to have a safety school. And then also, just because they're safety schools, sometimes these schools will have um, really good like honors programs, specific majors or specific programs that are really good for high achieving students. So definitely in the end, you may end up going to your safety school and finding a good program that's fit for you. 
So for me, my safety school was UT and I was auto admit because I was top 7% of my class. So it was the most safety you could get. Um, And so that definitely provided a lot of comfort for me. So I knew, you know, like regardless of what happened, early decision, regardless of what happened, regular decision, I would always have a pretty good fallback. And we're pretty lucky that our safety school is, you know, a really good public school. There are a lot of kids who don't have either that assurance based on rank or GPA. Now, one thing before you move on the mid schools and the reach schools, I think it's very important to stress that each kid has a different definition of mid and reach and safety. What might be a mid-tier school for one kid might be a safety school for another. For example, Michael was auto admission into UT, uh, so that was a safety school for him, whereas for me, it wasn't guaranteed, so I can't just chalk that up as a safety automatically. Yeah, and then... Dominic brings up a good point. When we're saying safety, it really should be a safety. Like, you're basically gonna get in. You don't have to be, like, auto-admit, but 90% chance that you're gonna get in, you fall within the top range of all their criteria. Because a lot of um, safety schools, um, because of their nature, they'll base it off a lot off of numbers. So you can kind of, like, look at the schools and see where you fall. So you shouldn't, I guess, deceive yourself and say, oh, like, this could definitely be a safety school. If there's kind of, like, an if, if you're kind of iffy about it, then maybe it's not a safety school because a safety school should be a school that you can always fall back on and kind of not leave it up to too much of chance. On that point, it's really important for you to actually think about what your safety school is because it is a potential situation where you find yourself going to a safety school maybe your mid school mid tier schools were off you you miscalculated something your reach schools rejected you you didn't get lucky and you're at a safety school well if that happens you need to be happy there so you should do as much thought on the safety school section if not more than the reach school section because you know i feel like a lot of kids are ambivalent about their like top school they know they want to go at least for me i guess into like a tier of school so for me it was you know that like ivy name plus minus you know the kind of like ivy tier schools um and for the safety and i was fine going to any one of them whereas for safety schools i would not have been so happy going to any safety school right i would have been more particular in my safety school so please please do think about your safety schools too as far as the distinction between mid from safety and reach how would you go ahead and define a mid-tier school to me what a mid school mid-tier school is is a school where you match its profile to a T. So, you know, you're at the 50th percentile for test scores, you're at the 50th percentile for GPA, you kind of have the type of academic or extracurricular profile they seem to accept in kids. Now, this part is a little more tenuous since you don't really have data on that. But, you know, you generally have a good idea that if you've been doing activities and doing, you know, not so well in them, maybe that won't make you a candidate for say like a Berkeley or a UVA, like a very good public school. Um, But as long as you've done something, maybe that makes you a candidate for one of the non-flagship institutions in, in, in your state. So, you know, I think the most quantitative part of the college admissions process will be picking these schools because I think a lot of them has to have to do with your grades and where you fit in them. Now, yeah. I will say that if you're looking at any of the Ivies or any of the really top tier schools, they don't really fit 
the uh, the rule of placing them based off of the test score averages and the GP averages. If you start looking up the different test score ranges, you'll notice that a lot of the IVs will be 720 to 800 for each of the 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 sections of the SAT, and then for the ACT, you'll have like a 33 to a 35. You're gonna have a lot more students fit into those categories in that school than even apply to that school, much less take. So you can't base the Ivies or any of those schools off of the, the test scores. I think those just automatically need to go into a REIT school because once you get into holistic admissions, it's probably going to be a REIT school. And I know we've mentioned this a lot, probably in our earlier episodes, definitely the types of schools that Dominic was talking about, whether it be Ivy, Ivy pluses or any school, I would say, I mean, okay, it's really, I... Yeah, okay, I'm saying, like, with caution, like, schools that are ranked on the list and stuff, but usually, like, if they're in the top 10, top 20 or something like that, you should be, really be realistic. Even for the most exceptional person, I, I would not be categorizing some of those, like, top schools in, like, oh, like, your mid-tier, because as Dominic was saying, everyone has those, um, scores, and when you go into holistic review, it's just not, it's can't just be about your scores because then they just can't take everyone and you there are there are factors kind of outside of your control and that's the thing with like ivies and ivy pluses so they definitely should kind of go into the reach category but i'm saying like i know i was kind of stressing out about mid-tier schools like dominic can probably relate but later on like this is just kind of the first step of um generally establishing a college list later on it will be less about just like safety well you always should have your safeties will be less about like mid and reach the lines between those don't always have to be clear it will be more based on the school but just kind of um when you're starting out pick a few schools in each um category i guess and you can kind of go off of that and these these three distinctions they aren't boxes. You can't just throw schools in different boxes. They're really places on a spectrum. So if you're thinking of like a number line from negative 10 to 10, you've got your super ultra reach schools, and then you've got your guaranteed admission safety schools on either end of the spectrum. And then right at zero, you've got your mid-tier schools. And then each school fits somewhere along that line. Yeah. And so, you know, whenever people ask me, how many safeties, how many reaches, how many mid-tier schools should I have on my list? And more broadly, the question I get asked a lot is how many schools you should have on your list in general or in total. The honest answer is that it depends on your situation. You know, for me, I had a very solid safety school. I did not need to apply to any more. So I did UT and UTD because my mom wanted me to apply there just in case. Um, And I was done for safety schools. Whereas someone with a more precarious situation, someone without any auto admission type thing, might want to apply to a few more. So that UT allowed me to apply to a lot more reaches than maybe other people could or should. Um, One thing about that is it goes to another benefit of kind of applying early earlier on to your safeties because like I mentioned before I um applied in like October and I heard a decision within two weeks so after that I kind of was like okay like this I'm good with my safeties I really don't have to apply to more so that's a benefit of kind of applying early on because a lot of your safeties usually will have this thing called um rolling admissions so basically they'll review the applications as they come in so if you turn it in earlier you'll generally get 
um, an admissions decision earlier. So that's one of the benefits of applying earlier on. So like you both have the comfort of knowing that you have a college that you can go to. And also maybe you don't have to apply to as many safeties as you would have if you waited until January 1st. Yeah, I mean, let's think more about that. I think it's definitely true that you want to apply early to the safety schools to get them out of the way. And, you know, if you know you have a safety school that you got into that you would be happy going to if all else went wrong, then that leaves up more room for you to apply to different schools, like Ni said. Um, So I guess my question to you guys is, how do you answer that question that a lot of people are having? How many schools should you apply to? How many reaches should you have? How many mids should you have? How many safeties you should have? One piece of advice that I got from a teacher earlier on in this process that I didn't really grow to appreciate until deeper into the process was that you only have a certain amount of time to do this application. As you go through the application process, you'll notice you have all these essays and different, you have all these essays to respond to and you have these different application questions that you need to do and for sending all the financial aid and all the cost set up and, and all the stress associated with it. It is a large process. Uh, it's definitely rewarding in the end, but it is a large process to apply to college. And for each school you add to that list, you're, putting away parts of that limited time that you have going into it. I didn't really picture how much time I had. I think it's really good to kind of sit down with a calendar and see when you need to turn stuff in and see if that's reasonable for you to do. We've talked a lot about time management in the past and we'll definitely talk about that in the future, but I think it's very important before you go in and start deciding how many schools to do that you understand Each school you add is going to take time away from working on your other applications. So make sure that if you're going to add that school, you really care about that school and that time is well spent. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of sad to say that like sometimes what determines how many schools you have on your list is just how many time, how much time you have left at the end. Cause I know like, yeah, we've done episodes on procrastination. We've talked about it, but like, honestly, we still can't help but procrastinate on some things. And it's just, like, how it is. Um, so sometimes it's up to, like, you're sitting down. It's winter break. You have two weeks until your January 1st regular decision apps are due. I, for me, that was really the time where I was like, okay, I really need to um, re-examine my college list. Really think about which schools I want to like really devote my time to like with the time I have I should like really be realistic am I really gonna finish all of um the applications for all these schools so sometimes it's just you won't know until the last two weeks but like the good thing is to kind of have a plan earlier on even if you have um like quite a few number of schools on your college list like it's okay because like at the end I feel like Sometimes you'll end up shortening it down, adding more schools. It just really depends. You can't have a firm answer right now because you just you just never know what's going to happen. But like the thing that we're talk we're really focusing on is picking the schools that you actually want to add to your college list that you're actually considering. So when it does come down to crunch time, you have a better um kind of perspective and you know, okay, to be honest, I've done this research and I actually really like like this school. This other school maybe is not the perfect fit for me. Now, to attempt to answer 
the impossible question of how many schools should you apply to. From my experience talking with friends that have applied to college this year and last year, 10 sounds like a really good number. Uh, I don't know why. It just kind of works out that way. You can have two to three safety schools. You can have two to three reach schools, and then you fill the rest up with your mid-tier schools, and that creates a really solid list. Uh, I think if you go anywhere below that, unless you definitely want to go to that school, let's say you're only applying to five schools, unless you're guaranteed to get into one of them and you really want to go there. I think that's a little too few. Uh, There's so many students applying to these schools nowadays. And the the odds are that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably looking at uh, some, a a lot of mid-tier schools and a lot of reach schools. It's too much to put all your, all your eggs in those few baskets. Um, I think if you go anywhere above 10 going into the 15 or 20 range, you're really risking taking, too much time away from your other applications to where you're you're spending 90% effort on each application instead of 110% like you should because every other student is giving 110%. As long as you can manage that time, go ahead and apply to, to 20, 30 schools, I guess, uh, if you really think each of those applications is going to be fine. But I think 10 is a really good number to start off with. So I applied to 21 schools. Here you go. So it is possible to apply to a lot of schools. I think, though, as you're starting out, 10 is a good number to be aiming for. So these are the 10 schools that you're really focusing on, really planning out. And if you happen to be able to do more, definitely feel free to do more. But you should have that number Mm -hmm. 10 as a baseline. Um, Because I think that'll give you more chances later on. The other thing is that, like, like you guys said, you can always add on schools. I remember the reason why I'm at 21 schools or I applied to 21 schools is because on January 1st, you know, I I finished submitting all the applications I really cared about. I had maybe like six more slots in my common app. So I just decided to apply to schools that had short supplements or no supplements. So that's what I ended up doing for Duke and Washington University. um, And I had a 50% hit rate between those two. So, you know... On the last day, you might decide to just throw in a random application and see where it goes, and maybe that brings your college list up. But in reality, as you're thinking about the list right now, the schools that you come up with, the 10 schools, 15 schools, whatever number you come up with, those should be the schools you will most definitely apply to. And anything else is just cherry on top. A cherry on top, I guess. Yeah, so like in Michael's case, he applied to 21 schools. I know... One of my friends um, applied to two schools because she for sure got into her um, little, like safety kind of school that she would have been really happy going to. So she's like, okay, um, I'm just going to apply to one reach school. I just want to see. I also like the school. If I don't get in, I'll be perfectly happy here. So that just goes to show it really depends on who you are. But one thing that might kind of help you with coming up um, with a college list is making sure that you create a balanced list and this will help you a lot more later on so that you're at the end you're not panicking like oh my gosh oh my gosh I need more safeties I need this I need that just kind of mm, creating a balanced list really helps you create a solid list from the get-go because like you're Um, analyzing in depth like the location okay you're looking at location the programs the money and if you've put a lot of thought into it then you're going to be really prepared and in the end 
you will be less freaked out in those kind of two weeks before January 1st. And so now that we've kind of talked about the three ranges of schools you need to have and how many schools you should have on your list, I think we should think through um, how we can create a list that's not just balanced in the likelihood of you getting in, but balanced in the sense that you have a variety of different schools on the list. And I think the reason why this is so important is that, you know, right now you may think that you really want Mm -hmm. to be on the East Coast. You really want to suffer really cold winters. You really want to buy big jackets. See? Yeah. As someone who is in (laughs) the Northeast, it is very, 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 very overrated. Snow is overrated. I am bored of snow, and it's been like the second snowfall of the year. So the reason why I say this is you may think you want to be in the Northeast or on the East Coast right now, but... Just in case you change your mind, just in case you want to stay in the Midwest or head over to the West Coast or, I don't know, maybe even go internationally, just in case that's true, you want a variety of different schools so you have that option. Because the worst thing that can happen is, you know, you only applied to East Coast schools, you only got into East Coast schools and suddenly you realize that, you know, you really wanted to go to Arizona. So besides location, another thing that um, I think is really important to look into are like the specific kind of programs. So everyone's different. They want to study different things and certain schools will be good for certain majors. So I think looking at programs or kind of your major, first off, like is your major even offered at this school should be kind of like the first indicator. Although you don't have to be for sure, for sure of what you want to study. We've talked about um, selecting majors in one of the past episodes, but kind of getting an understanding because for sure, some schools will be better for um, certain majors or kind of like certain, whether it's like STEM or more humanities. So I think it's really good to kind of do some research, take some time to see which which schools really have good programs for the major that you want to do, um, if they have good, like, study abroad programs, if they have good partnerships and internships with surrounding um, companies, or just, like, more specific little, um, if they have, like, special programs, like a combined bachelor's and master's, or just those little things that may um, be a good fit for you. Um, I think that's one of the criteria that's really good to think about when you're building a college list. I think another factor you should think about as one way to diversify your list is the size of the school. You know, again, you might go into it thinking you want a big 40,000 people that a lot and has amazing sports. Yeah, something ridiculous like that where you have to like go off campus for housing because there's no way they can squeeze all of you on campus, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, you might change your mind. So you probably want to have at least a few smaller schools on your list. So you have at least that option when you have more time to think about it. The other thing I just want to throw in here, especially on this note, is that in many chances, you're not going to have an opportunity to visit the school before you apply. Um, Now, there are fly-in programs that you can apply to where they'll fly you out before the application. But most of the time, schools focus on flying admitted students out. So if your only opportunity to tour schools is after you've been admitted, then you might show up to your big public school one day and realize, wow, I really don't like this. 
And at that point, if you didn't leave yourself with a backup option, then you're in a really bad place. So always leave yourself with options. I will say, please take advantage of those flying programs. I've had some friends go on them and they've all come back with great, great stories about them. We talked about this before on at least one episode. Uh, I didn't go to any of the flying programs. I think, I think it's just as important to go see that school you're interested in as it is to just go tour some schools and get that college experience just in general. Uh, if you go and tour a, a big state school, for example, on, on a fly-in program, you're going to get that experience of what a big state school is like. And then you can apply that experience loosely to the other big state schools on your list and see if you actually enjoyed that. If you went there and you hated it and you were overwhelmed and there's just too much going on and you want less people around and your list consists entirely of large schools, you might need to reevaluate. Hey, Michael, one thing I noticed uh, earlier on in my college process was that I didn't have a lot of uh, similar colleges with my friends' college lists. What will I ever do going into college without any of my high school friends? Yeah, you know, I was really worried about that, too, because I found myself in the same situation. There was nobody else here from my high school. But but college is a time to meet new people that you never would have talked to in high school, uh, never even would have talked to in high school. And one way to do that is with FreezeCrowd. It's an online yearbook website where you can talk with current students on your campus, as well as alumni, professors, anybody with a .edu email. So I know you've been talking a lot about FreezeCrowd even like outside of the podcast, but kind of what sets FreezeCrowd apart from all the other like social media that we could be using? Well, you know, I love the fact that it's tailored to your specific college campus. You know, a lot of other social media platforms are just like, oh, you talk to anybody, it's whatever. But if you really want to be focused on your college community, FreezeCrowd is the place to do it because all the photos that you're sharing there, all of the people you're meeting there are going to be people who are related to your college campus. You know, students there, alumni from there, people who work there, professors, TAs, so on and so forth. So if you want to know the culture of your school, you know, what type of food people eat, the climate, you know, what they do on the weekends, that's this type of thing that you can find 100% for sure on FreezeCrowd. And I know you mentioned that it's free, right? Because I'm probably going to be really broke in college and I cannot be paying to make friends. I will confirm that you will be broke in college. Sad face. Uh, but yes, FreezeCrowd is completely free. Completely. And free. is it easy to sign up for FreezeCrowd? Absolutely. Just head over to freezecrowd.com with your .edu email to sign up and make an account. You know, if you don't have your .edu email yet, just remember FreezeCrowd, and the second you get that email, go to freezecrowd.com and sign up. As we said, you want some kind of, like, diversity in your list, but I think at this point, you're probably, like, 17 or 18, you kind of know the things or the environments that you feel comfortable in. Maybe it's like you went into an extremely big high school and you're like, eh, I didn't really like this vibe. I want a smaller, close-knit school. So we're, we are saying have options, but don't go crazy and put like blah, 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 blah when you know like deep down you obviously don't like, say, too big of a school. So just kind of 
try as much as possible to narrow down, but you don't have to confine yourself to a specific type, let's say 7,500 students. But you should know, be honest with yourself and know what you're comfortable with, um, like whether it be your location, if you know that you're going to freeze, even if it's like 60 degrees outside, then maybe the Northeast is not the place for you. Exactly. So I guess it is just finding the balance between diversifying your list, but also knowing yourself well enough not to apply to school that you know you would never go to and you would not want to go to. One more thing that I'll throw on here is I think a very general tip is that if you're uncertain about what type of career or what type of major you want to do, keep that in mind because some schools will force you to apply to a particular school within the larger university that'll lock you into one field of study and you know most schools i've encountered will let you transfer but it is very very difficult um and i've noticed this tendency at a lot of public schools for sure but even a lot of private schools like if you want to do engineering that's a separate school and so if you're undecided you know engineering um, non-engineering type things maybe consider you know finding a school that will let you have more time to explore yeah and kind of adding on to that even just not wanting to focus on one major sometimes double majoring might be hard especially if it's um like say stem and humanities because i know some of the bigger state schools maybe you just can't double major because you physically just can't get between classes because they're on they're a mile across campus or something like that because they're two completely separate schools. So these are all things that you kind of have to look at. And in the end, it's just about research, taking some time out and really just sitting down and looking into the schools because that's how you're going to create the best college list if you just have all the information available. Now, speaking of research, uh, how do you guys research to find schools for this list? You know, we talked a lot about the types of things you might be looking for in a school, you know, where it is, um, whether it's in a big city, rural area, programs it might have, will it let you explore, you know, those types of factors. How do you find out about schools that might fit your profile? How do you find schools that you've never heard of but might be a good fit for you? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, obviously, the the safety schools are probably going to be easier to come by, I think, as far as the selection. They'll usually be local schools. You'll know about them. You'll hear about them. I I found the mid-tier schools to be the hardest for me to get. There's a lot of schools out there, and the way the spectrum works is the majority of schools are concentrated in the middle. So there's a lot of mid-tier schools out there to pick from, and a lot of schools that not a lot of people know about but are very good for your individual programs. Hopefully, by now, you know a bit about what you would like to do or at least have two different ideas for example i was bouncing uh business slash finance and then also some politics or government in there i think people give ranking lists a bad rap obviously they aren't something to swear by and build your entire (laughs) college list off of you want to do economics you don't just take the the top 15 schools in econ and apply to all those and call that your list but I think you can use that to help guide your list and discover schools. For example, if you want to major in economics, you can go to the economics ranking list and you can scroll past all the IVs at the top. And then you can start looking at those schools that are ranked really highly for those lists, uh, but not a lot of people know about. And you can start researching them and finding more out about them. 
Counselors are a great resource for that. You can also ask past seniors who applied there. If your school uses Naviance, uh, it'll allow you to see how many students applied there and what their numbers were to see if you're a good fit for the school. But I think just in general, the rankings list just are a good way to find out about some some good schools. I would just I just want to add um, another website that I found really useful was I think it was called Big Future and it's a college board kind of search engine thing. So I know at the beginning it's going to be like, oh, you have so many schools. And the good thing about this website is you just kind of go in, put in one or two majors, the size, um, school size that you want, the location, and just like these other kind of filter things. And they'll give you a like a pretty decent list. It probably won't be like the best list because like it is a debt a database but it's something that I found really useful and helpful to go off of because it can kind of be overwhelming at the beginning so I just kind of like having a like a smaller list within a huge list to kind of look at and um what Dominic said besides just um going to your counselor past seniors also, I know, at least for our school, we had a lot of colleges come set up a table um, within kind of like the common area and kind of, and just like talking to those college reps really helps because they can give you a lot more information and they can answer some questions that you might not find um, on the school's website. So I think that's also a very good resource to take advantage of or if they or if schools um, have like sometimes they'll have like tours like around the country where they travel and give info sessions. Those could also be a good thing. So there are a lot of resources out there. It's just that you got to um, seek them out, I guess. Yeah, and I, I do have some thoughts on the ranking systems for colleges. I honestly think that could be an entirely different episode, like sorting through the methodologies for the U.S. News one versus the Times one versus I think Forbes has one. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the thing, right? The rankings come out because each news source has a different way of assigning values. You know, this methodology, these values show to, to us as the readers what these institutions value. So, for example, like uh, U.S. News and World Report has a social mobility metric that the Times Wall Street Journal one does not have. So if you really want to use... Um, rankings, at least do a little bit of digging into the methodology behind them. You know, other times you'll see breakdowns. So the Times Wall Street Journal one, you know, breaks it down between overall rank, academic rank, um, international rank, you know, reputation rank. And so, you know, there are different ways of also looking deeper down into the numbers. So, you know, I, I think generally people are like, never use ranks or probably wrong uh, because the data is very, very granular if you really dig into it. The thing I will say is that, you know, generally if a school is number one on the list of schools, you know, the, it it probably isn't awful, right? You know, like generally speaking, I would probably buy these ranks. You know, like I will except that number one on U.S. News and World Report's rank is going to be better than number 1,005 on its list, right? But, you know, the differences in between sections, so like the difference between the number one school and the number three school and the number five school, the number, you know, 11 school, those are probably a little less... That's such a big gap, I guess. Yeah. 
True. Yeah, not such a big gap. I think those situations are when you have to start thinking on your own and, you know, adding in your own values and your own desires mm-hmm. for what you want out of And it. I know a lot of people will say, like, okay, just, like, not based off of rank. And I think, like, what they're really getting at there is, like, you shouldn't just be like, okay, I'm applying to this school just because it's ranked dot dot dot. Just because a school is ranked, it doesn't mean that it's, like, the school for you. I guess I guess what I'm just trying to say is the ranking for schools in their order might not be the ranking of those schools specifically for you. So that's what we've been saying, like, really um, finding a balanced list, really researching the programs. You, the rankings can kind of be a template that you can go off of, but you shouldn't just, like, pick one school over the other just because it ranks higher because you never know it. Maybe there's a specific program at this other school that's just, like, perfect for you. Yeah, you know, I I think that's a really good way of putting it. Don't let these rankings define your college list. Let them guide them. The reason why I've been looking, I've been talking a little bit about the methodologies and the ranking is because I actually have the Wall Street Journal Times higher education list pulled up. And, you know, we, we can say what we want about, you know, whether the methodology is correct or whether the weightings they give to various factors are the correct way to do it. You know, it this ranking um, gives 10% weight to environment and within environment only 2% to student diversity and I think 3% to staff diversity, which, you know, if you care about those things, you know, are not yeah. a very heavy weighting. But what that shows you is that instead of just taking that top line number and just like running with it, use these rankings to dig down into the detailed numbers and to the subsection numbers, right? So like if you see that a school has really good, a really high graduation rate, but has low student engagement or something, maybe that should concern you. And, you know, this data is should be something you consider because it's not something you're just going to encounter going to the school. You might get a feel for the school. You might hear in individual anecdotes, but you're never going to get the type of systemic empirical surveys that some of these institutions use. So, like, again, I'm looking at this Times Wall Street Journal one. It does a survey of students at each school about, you know, if they feel engage with faculty if it's easy to find teachers and that's a question i always ask when i visited the school and this ranking system kind of aggregates them all so you know don't take the numbers for granted don't don't just buy them but you know they could be useful mm-hmm. and kind of just looking at the other side of it not just looking at the top of the list what i think sometimes people get caught up in is that just because a school is not ranked within the top 10, in no way means that it's not a good school. Because I know some people are like, oh, I don't want to go to this school. It's ranked, uh, I don't know, 70 something, blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't think that's fair to the school. Because as Michael said, like, um, the methodology is different and also specifically not, some schools may be really strong in this one suit, but like not in another suit and that could, could have affected its rankings. There are a lot of aspects that go into it. So I think... Just as, like, a student applying that, say, has a really poor SAT score, you would hope for a holistic review they would look at other aspects of it and not just pure numbers. So I think you can kind of use that thinking when looking at some of the schools, especially if you're looking for the so-called mid-tier schools, maybe just going beyond your first perception of them not ranking really highly 
that maybe you should, if they have a good program, you should really take time to look into it and not just brush the school away because of a mere number that was assigned to it. Yeah, and so I think something related to that is don't just go to a school that has a low acceptance rate. Um, oh, yeah. You know, this 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 has become part of, like, the higher education vogue now. Like, U.S. News has stopped having acceptance rates at all in their methodology. The Wall Street Journal Times one doesn't have it at all either. Um, but, you know, I think students are still very impressed with a, you know, like, oh, Harvard has a 5% acceptance rate. So, oh, my gosh, so low. If I get in, I'm going to be so good. Yeah. And also, especially now, acceptance rates are just, like, going down just because there's so many more people applying and they can and the school's not getting any yeah. bigger by like not even at a comparable rate to the the increase in the number of applicants so like it's like with basic math if you have a lot more people applying for the same number of seats then of course the um acceptance rates are going to be lower and also another thing is that like sometimes i don't know like this might apply to our audience it might not just because you get into school that has a lower acceptance rate say than like another person just doesn't mean like it should not be kind of like a bragging rights thing you know because at the end of the day when you go off to college you're not going to be trying to like hit up your high school friends and be like huh, my school only has like a five percent acceptance rate look blah 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 <laughs> and then of course unless you're a really yeah. big and of course like when you're out in the workforce you're not just you're not going to be like oh i graduated from school with like a 4.7 acceptance rate what about you like yeah please don't be the person who's like oh yeah i went to school in you know cambridge near boston you know <laughs> but i'm just saying like sometimes i feel like we have to get rid of the i the thing with acceptance rate and it also goes with rankings Sometimes you really got to think, like, do you really like the school or do you like the bragging rights that you could have if you got into the school? Because sometimes that might guide you down the wrong path. That's not to say, of course, those top ranked schools are top ranked for a reason, but it should not be your pure, your pure motivation just to be able to kind of like inflate your ego. We are clearly not on the side of people just going to schools because they have high ranks or good superficial numbers because you should think what those numbers mean and if you actually care about them. But I have always said that prestige is a thing that exists and prestige is good. <laughs> when you're out in, a work, in the workforce, it helps to have graduated from an Ivy League school. That's my mentality. When I was going into the, that process, that remains my mentality. If you're interested in banking or consulting jobs, there are certain schools that the top firms actively recruit from. They're called target schools. And so if you're interested in that type of career, then it actually does matter somewhat, the pre prestige of the institution. Prestige could be lightly taken as, say, like a specific like program. Like you're saying prestige, but like also like specifically like for banking, it's really good for this. So I think there's also kind of that of course, the prestigious schools, they, for a reason, like, they're, a lot of their, like, um, their graduates are hired because it all stems from a really good program that they have. Because not, like, every prestigious school is going to be prestigious for every single major, for everything you want to do. I think that sounds true in theory, but when you get down to it, it's very hard to make distinctions, I think, between, you know, a lot of these top-tier schools. They're really just, like, good for almost everything and it's hard to make these types of distinctions and you know it's also 
I think, an interesting question, whether prestige correlates with, like, the better program, or even more broadly, whether it even means anything to say that there is a quote-unquote better education somewhere. You know, Brian Kaplan, an economist at uh, George Washington, wrote this book called, I forgot what it was called. It was, I should I should know this. I read the book. Um, um, it was a book that basically said we should not have public schools anymore. <laughs> um, and his argument was that, you know, the role of education today is not really to increase human capital, to teach things, people things that will help them, you know, in the workforce. It is rather just to signal that you follow rules well or to to signal that, oh, you've got this college degree. That means you know how to, like, turn in homework on time and be a good, you know, uh, worker bee or whatever. The book's called The Case Against Education. Um, and so if that's true, then what really matters is perceptions of the educational institution rather than the actual content or professors that you're learning there. So, you know, if you buy into his theory, I think there are problems with it, but if you do, then prestige and maybe rankings matter more. And like, I guess it's like this whole big um, kind of talk and discussion about this topic. I think it all just goes back to, of course, um, prestige and all of that. Like, of course, you want to they're reach schools for a reason. You want to, you definitely want to take advantage of this college application process. I know Dominic has said a lot of times, you only get one chance to apply to college. So if you have time, if you um, really put in the work, definitely apply to those schools. But the thing is, you shouldn't um, let kind of prestige rankings overshadow you from looking or like, making you not pay attention to other schools that could be just as good specifically for you. So as we said, like throughout, it's all about finding a balance, whatever that balance is for you, depending on what criteria, criteria you put out, what you're looking for within a school, just make sure that you really have a clear mind going into this process, knowing that you shouldn't be persuaded one way or another, I guess. Yeah. And so you know, like, I know I just, like, made sort of the case for why you might care about prestige, um, but, you know, I largely agree with your sentiment, right, which is that be very, very careful with just, like, ah, it's a prestigious school, it must be good, I'll go to it. Ask yourself why that prestige matters to you, and you might end up concluding that it really does, like, if, you know, banking or consulting is a target school, I get it, you gotta do what you gotta do, but that step in between you know the realization that this is my career path that means prestige matters that realization is an act of reflection and active thinking that i think you need to have so you might care about prestige it might be totally valid for you to be care about prestige but in order to get there please do think about what you value in a college this concludes our episode concerning building your college list if you would like to get any more extra material that'll help you build your college list or any of the 
topics we discussed that we said would be listed in the show notes below, it'll be in the text box under the post on our website, emissionsuncovered.com, where you'll find a list of helpful links to guide you in this process. Additionally, make sure that you sign up for free credit once you get that .edu email. Like we said, these these big state schools with 40,000 students, they're a real thing, and it can be really hard to show up there the first day and not know many people, and FreezeCard will really help you through that process by meeting new people before you even get on campus. So make sure you check that out, and thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back next week. Mm-hmm.